0: everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. Well, friends, take a seat and relax. Good morning to you. Good to see you. Thanks. uh, Hey, thanks, Noah. Skeleton teams during January. So here's Noah up here all by himself. He does a good job, doesn't he, Noah? (laughs) You can can go and relax and cool down a little bit now, if you like, Noah. And guess what? Highlight of the day is our friend Audrey. Audrey, so here's the deal. Our 93-year-old friend who went back to the United Kingdom, um, England to be with her family over Christmas. Got very unwell while she's there, um, and ended up then coming back quite quite a bit sooner than what she thought. She got back safely. She's back in Melbourne the week before last, and now she's back with us here at Mill Park Baptist Church this morning. Audrey, so um, welcome especially to you, Audrey. We we love you so much, and we prayed for you while you are there. One day, did you watch us at least one day? You watched at least one day on church twice? At least, so Audrey, and we all got to wave hello to her and everything, and good on you, Audrey. You want me to stop talking about you now? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) God bless you, Audrey. Good to have you. And hey, we just isn 't that good where's Pastor Sammy um, Arabic this afternoon Arabic service at one o'clock to be celebrating Christmas all over again with the same christmas Christmas carols and everything that 's going to be great so we hope you have a good time there sammy hey let 's pray and just ask God to speak to us through this we we do ask you now you're the the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. We know that your word is alive and active and meaningful. It is sharper than a a double-edged sword. That's what your word tells us. Your word is pure. It's like silver that's refined in a furnace. This is the word of God. It's It's not just a... A human words, the word of God, and so we would trust you now, we do trust you, just to speak to us. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Um, friends, just while we're praying, if, if you're a person who's following Jesus, then, well, well, even if you're not, actually, but you can ask God now to speak to you. Um, yeah, even if you're not following Jesus, he, he, he would love to hear you say, would you speak to me now? And if you do what you can, and even if you ask him for his help to do this, do what you can to say, I want my, my heart to be soft so I can hear what you want to say to me. He loves those prayers. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one thing, friends, that I know about me, and that is that I am a second guesser. Um, I routinely agonise over decisions, and or, and not always just situ- like decisions, but situations or projects or problems. You know, like and I agonise over it? Then get all the info that I can get, get all the discernment that I can get, the wisdom, the counsel, and then I usually, usually I pray as well, and then I get sure. Well, sure enough, and then I make the decision, or you know, like I, I take the action or implement the strategy, whatever it is, and that's when I second guess. Do you do that? Like I second guess, especially if I start out and it looks like the decision's not going so well, or the strategy's maybe not working quite as well as I thought it would, and so then I doubt. Sometimes the, the, those doubts can be just minor and trifling, and they just mess with me a little bit. But other times, they're like it's it's this. Crippling, paralyzing down. Now, many of you know, those you know, in our church family who have been here for you know, I've had a while, I've often had a lot of trouble and pain and anxiety being away from my family. And it's almost always when I've been overseas in a, in a mission setting. So now, all these years later, with predictable certainty, Deb, my wife and I, we we know that it is most likely that I'll second guess. I'd say it's even a bit more likely than most likely. You know, when, when I've been in that situation, and for me... More often than not, it's, it's in the Philippines. We have our involvement as a church with Kids International Ministries. I'm on the board for the, for the ministry there. So I go there a few times a year. More often than not, it's been in that setting. Friends, like it's been excruciating sometimes for me. So here I am, I get there. I've got the pain and the anxiety of being away and just the normal sadness that anyone would feel being away from their family. I've got the pain, but then on top of that pain or anxiety, I'm saying, and it's loud, I'm saying to myself, well, you've got no one to blame but yourself. No one forced you to come here. What were you thinking? I've said those words. I'll call them and saying, what was I thinking? How did we do this? Never mind the fact that we thought about it for a long time before. We prayed together. We talked about it. We discussed it. Oftentimes I've sought other counsel as well. And then we made the decision for me to go. But then in the days leading up to when I do go, I start second guessing and I think, how how could I have been so stupid? And it's happened so many times now. And I'm still not overly wise about it, but it still catches me off guard. And it makes life pretty unbearable if it does catch me. At least for a few days when I get there. Does anything like that ever happen with anyone else? Like is that is that me? Like you ever doubted? Ever ever not just a, a trifling doubt, but a doubt to the core. You know, you were sure of it. But now you're not so sure. You did believe. But now you don't or worse still you think you believe but you don't know what to believe you thought you had it right but it looks like you had it wrong god seemed real so real it's like you can reach out and touch him you, you could hear, or at least you thought you could hear his voice. But now, it seems like whatever you thought you were hearing, oh, it might have been something else. Probably wasn't God. You imagined it. You psychologized it. Did God? Did God really say? I I suggest you we so often find ourselves doubting, especially doubting God, and we feel disappointed. Them like we feel let down. We feel upset with ourselves. We're sure that God spoke to us, but soon we're we're second guessing it, and and we're doubting it, or we're even dismissing it altogether doubt's very hard to live with isn't it and it's not just for people who want to follow Jesus that doubt's a problem I mean in my mind's eye I I see I I see a long line of people who who I've known just, just ones who I've known myself people who came so close to accepting Jesus like one guy I'm thinking of and I know him through my chaplaincy at, at Richmond Football Club. So many conversations, so many circumstances in his life and even his experiences like, like calling me really, really late one night and, and thinking about these things that he was thinking about and then driving along and I've forgotten exactly what the message was but some great big message on, a, on an LED billboard in Melbourne on Hoddle Street, some huge big message And he's like, Jeff, God's speaking to me. And now, years later, he he hasn't followed through on that. Not yet. I mean, he was sure then that God was speaking. I imagine if we talked about that now, he'd be second-guessing it. Because we can rationalise things. We We can explain things away for sure did God really say? You see, at least for me, and I wouldn't mind betting it's true for you too, if, if the all-powerful God, El Shaddai, uh, you know, that we mean by that God Almighty, God far beyond what we could ever conceptualize, if El Shaddai, God of the universe, would say something to me, to little, little Jeff Shepard, Especially if it were to be something like, Jeff, I love the way that you're serving the poorest of the poor in the Philippines. Jeff, I know what it means to you to go there. Jeff, you know what? I love the sacrifice that you're making to be away from your family. I know it's costing you money. You're going to pay the money. You're going to give the time. And you know what, Jeff? I'm... i'm I'm proud of you my son i i want you to go there jeff i'll be with you the whole way i mean he said this to me before i'll be with you the whole way i'll go before you i'll come after you I'll put my hand of blessing on your head jeff i'll give you everything you need i'll even give you a bit more than what you need and while you're doing that jeff guess what i'll build your endurance and your commitment and your servanthood and your reliance and your dependence If I me, I'll grow you, I'll make you into a much better person while you're doing this. And if I were to, to read this, you know, one of those mornings when I'm in the middle of second guessing and I'm just a few days away from going and I was to read, which I've done before, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, just one example out of however many. And God says, see, I'm sending my angel before you to lead you safely to the land that I've prepared for you. Hey Jeff. You see, to me, do you see what I'm saying? If El Shaddai speaks to Jeff Shepherd, I mean, that feels really good. That's solid. It's a rock. It's it's like like an anchor. Like I'm ready to run through a wall when I'm confident of God speaking to me like that. But then if I get onto the plane or I say goodbye or something and, 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 and. the rug gets pulled out from under my feet by whatever method, through whoever's agency, it's going to be double the blow. And you know what? If it is, this morning here's what we're saying is that I might be falling for one of the oldest tricks in the book. (laughs) Hey, who used to watch Maxwell Smart, Secret Agent 86? We show our age. This was my staple TV show at five o'clock every weeknight. And, and you know like Maxwell Smart for all of you younger people who haven't experienced him um, remember when he, he he would always say the old and, he, and, and he'd name the trick. It, it'd be some highfalutin. <clears throat> the old bulletproof cummerbund trick. The old roll the agent up in the carpet downstairs and put him upstairs trick. And he would name all these old tricks that someone would play on him, usually agents of chaos, and he'd say something like, it's the second time I've fallen for it this week. Chances are, friends, like you've heard something of the first few pages of the Bible. Creation, you know, God creates the world. The animals, the sky, the stars, the sea, the land, the man, the woman. Genesis chapter 1 in your Bible, that's like an overview of the creation. Chapter 2 goes back over the creation, but now it gives the details. Look. Look at this. Chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had created. And the Lord God... He planted all sorts of trees in the garden. Beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit. At the centre of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Beautiful garden. The Garden of Eden. I bought some, some jewellery online recently. For my daughter. Um, And and the place that that I bought is called Garden of Eden. So, the Garden of Eden, we we, we know that almost universally, is this symbol, and often it's not even religious or biblical, but it's this symbol of idyllic beauty, paradise, perfection, awesomeness. Look at this in verse 15 the Lord God place the man in the garden of Eden to tend and care for it. But the Lord God gave him this warning. God does speak, my friend. He did then and he does now. He said, here's the warning. You may freely eat from any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. Yep, God speaks. He did then and he does now. God speaks. Now, most of us are not so good at listening. Some of us are plain shocking at listening. At least by nature, especially here. You you hear me say this often. In our Western affluent culture, especially here, we're not good at listening by nature. Because our world is so fast, it's so totally overstimulated. Not just a bit overstimulated, like it's massively overstimulated. And our phones and our screens, quite frankly, they take up almost all of our attention, almost all of our time. So I've got to hurry, hurry, hurry now, quick, quick, quick. You know this song, hurry, hurry, hurry now, quick, quick, quick. Just step on the gas, because I don't want to miss this. Alex Jordan said it in 2011. This is FOMO. This is fear of missing out. This opportunity will only come once in my life. So I'm going to go, 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 go. Brothers and sisters. Have to be out of here. It's gone through a really, really hard time at the church that we were at before this church. This was in January of... 2005. I had taken a month off. Um, it was so it was tough, and so but what we were doing was in that time is Deb and I would then still come to church on Sunday. Walked in and it was early January, and um, and it was church getting ready to start, and I saw down the down the back of the church, um, three or four of the the, the brothers and, and a sister from the community of the Transfiguration or the Holy Transfiguration Monastery, which you've heard me speak about before. They're friends of mine down Teesdale near, in between Geelong and Ballarat. And here they are, and they're, they're sitting down the back row before church started. First thought I have is, oh no, like, that, that, this was back in the day when everyone used to do Christmas cards. You know, oh, oh, and they always send me a Christmas card I didn't send them a Christmas card. I'm thinking, what are, what are they doing here? Well, they've, they've driven all the way, like, and I go down and I say, you know, and, and these people, like when you see these people, there's no shake hands and hello like a curse, like you, it's, it's a big long hug, every one of them. And Brother Steve, one of the guys, I say to me, well, how come you guys are here? Like, I, I haven't seen them for months. They, as far as I know, they've got no idea that I'm on a month off. Church, because it's so hard. Like, I, I I can't see they would have any idea at all. And Brother Steve says to me, Jeff, the Holy Spirit told us to come here for you today. And I've talked with Brother Steve about that since, and I I, I took him out for lunch afterwards, and we talked about it. I said, how, how do you hear that? And Brother Steve in his soft American accent he says to me Jeff we spend so much time being quiet that we learn how to listen you know it's after God speaks to the man and tells him don't eat that tree and he says he, it's quoted. He says, it's not good for this man to be alone. I'm going to make a companion who will help him. And that's where Adam and Eve come from. He makes Eve to be Adam's companion. But the oldest trick in the book, though, did God really say? So did you know, my friend, did you know if you're a follower of Jesus, that right this moment there is a big target on your head. You are prey, not not P-R-A-Y, you're P-R-E-Y. Be careful, God says. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. (laughs) When he says your great enemy... He means your great enemy. Yes, he is my great enemy. And he's the great enemy of the person sitting beside you, but he's your great enemy. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. You know what? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. He is totally committed to your downfall. No matter what it takes, he is hell-bent on my downfall too. No matter what. Look at this. Jesus said, why can't you understand what I'm saying to these people? It's because you're unable to do so. You know what? For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. Here's how he describes the devil. Jesus knows. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what that means is that when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. That's why he's the best liar in the universe. Now bear that in mind and come back to the story. The oldest, the first recorded trick or scheme or method or wile of your enemy... My enemy, chapter 3 of Genesis. Now, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. The serpent, he's suddenly introduced into this story with minimal detail. Eventually, this serpent is portrayed as God's enemy, but it's a little ambiguous to start with. But make no mistake now that this serpent is... The father of lies. And make no mistake, what this father of lies is committed to doing, no matter what it takes in your life. Really? He asked the woman. Really? Mocking tone. Really? Sure really you watch now you watch this inbred natural born liar did god really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden did did god really say that hey by the way god actually never said that you you trickster satan i mean trickster I learned that word. That's what Deb called me a few days after I met her. But that was because I tried to cheat when we were playing table tennis. She said, you trickster. But he here, is a trickster of diabolical proportions. He's a liar. My enemy's oldest known trick, friends, is to get me doubting God. The woman says, of course we eat it. It's only the fruit from the tree at the centre of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it. Did he say this part? Did God say we must not even touch it? God said we must not eat it or even touch it or we'll die. She's already off her game. You know, when, when when the devil comes to you, devil, in Greek the language means diabolos. It's two words, diabolos. Bolos means devil, dia within. You know what it means? It literally means the accuser within. So when the accuser within, the father of lies, comes along and starts throwing a few little second guesses in there, it's easier to get off your game and lose your perspective. He said we can't even touch it. Well, you see, he confuses with his questions and his prompts and his nudges. He wants to get you confused and perplexed and second guessing and he wants to get you rushing and moving really quickly too. And he wants to get you second guessing. My enemy's oldest known trick he's getting is to get me doubting God. Look at this. You won't die. The serpent hissed. Die? You're kidding, aren't you? You really reckon you're going to die for eating fruit off a tree? You won't die. And then it says there the serpent hissed. That's not exaggerating. Satan has got a tone. My friend, Satan's got a tone. And you know what? Oftentimes he can trick us with it. He's the best liar in the universe. But when you peg it back, it's not so hard to recognize the tone, especially as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, if you're not Ignorant or unaware of his schemes hissing is a really apt description for him when he thinks you're not believing him, when he wonders if you're not going to fall for it he'll get nasty if he has to and it won't bother him a bit he won't die as many of you know like, I was a I was a cop. And four years of that we had in the homicide squad. So you, you get what that means. is We're talking about people who kill people. Murderers. And you know, um, what I would find is that almost always, in, in almost all cases, even the worst of criminals have a bit of a code of conduct. So, for instance, if if you were to abuse a small child and go to jail, you need to be kept on protection. Because if you're not, the other criminals will kill you. You see, there's a bit of a code of conduct amongst even the very worst of criminals. You know what? Satan has no code of conduct. None whatsoever. He he will do anything he has to do to bring you down. He will fight dirty. He will fight nasty. He will hiss. There's, there's, there's no scruple. There's nothing that's off-limit. The rule book has been thrown out the window. God's misled you, Eve. You too, Adam, die. You won't die. Jeff, you imagined it. God, you, really? You think that God would actually put you on a plane to come away from your family and feel this level of pain you really think he would want you to do that how did you fall for that Jeff God's not God's not like that and then if I'm showing signs that I'm not really believing that he said well if God is like that how bad is he Jeff you've got no one to blame but yourself here You notice, though, right here, God's not coming to Eve's rescue. God's not interjecting into that conversation. Somewhere. He's not saying, hey, hold on, Eve. Oh, Eve, 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 Satan's lying to you. Don't believe him. You know why? Because more often than not, God waits for us to respond to what he already told us before he gives us further words. Do you know that? I can't, I can't prove that to you but I'm absolutely sure it's true he's already said like he already said don't eat tree don't eat fruit from the tree at the center of the garden my enemy's oldest nun trick get me doubting God so does Eve fall for it does she believe the lie is it second guessing does it work you bet you bet she does and it does it does It does, it does. It's worked dozens of times in my life. Many of them, it's it's just crippled me. Every single time, it was unnecessarily painful, and oftentimes, it caused damage and destruction. Look at this the woman was convinced. The fruit looks so fresh and delicious, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. Convince. People really do get convinced. We believe lies. We believe lies in the form of straight out statements. We believe assertions. We believe questions. Did God, did God really say? And what's more, what's more, the fruit looks so fresh and delicious. You know, the option that Satan gives always looks good. The enemy's lies really work, friends. They're convincing. They're persuasive. And they're attractive. I mean, go figure. Look at this. Thousands of years later. God of the universe says, it is explicit, it is unequivocal, it's unmistakable. If you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die. Who in their right mind would ignore that? I mean, would you? Would you? But in the absence of God then being there to refute the lie and to assure you that he said what he meant and he meant what he said. Jeff, why are you... Why are you spending your money on going to the Philippines? Why are you willingly exposing yourself to pain? And then lies kick in and they're loud, compellingly, compelling, logically, so society-scripted lies. Like God wouldn't want you to put yourself at risk, Jeff. And if for some reason he did want you to put yourself at risk, then he's not worth it. He doesn't care for you. So-and-so, someone else can do it, Jeff. Someone else can do that job. They won't have to pay as much as you're having to pay and it won't be dangerous or compromising for them. Every minute, Jeff, every minute you're on that plane and you're flying north for eight hours, you're further and further away from your family and you can't look after them while you're gone, Jeff. You just keep on going and it's like a snowball rolling down the hill. Lies, lies, lies. Do God, Really? Say my enemy's oldest known trick, friends, is to get me doubting God. You know what? Just, Just a couple of suggestions. First one is this. Wise up. If you sit up and take notice, if you seek counsel, if you listen to biblical teaching, if you study God's word for yourself, you'll start to wise up. It says, as we mentioned earlier, Second Corinthians two eleven, in order that Satan might not outw- outwit us, Paul writes, for we are not unaware of his schemes, unaware or, or not ignorant of his schemes. Ignorant—that's that, that, thats the Greek, the Greek word ag, agnoumen, agnoumen, agnoumen. You know what it means, eh? To not recognize, to be. To be unacquainted with. And then as that word was used more in the ancient Greek language, because it's not just used in the Bible, it came to mean not just to be ignorant, but, but to have no discernment. And then that lack of discernment would lead the person to err, or to commit a fault. Oldest trick in the book, Literally. Wise up. My enemy's oldest known trick is to get me doubting God. And then the second one is to slow down. Satan's lies, you know, whenever he he wants you to to rush, and, and especially... You might not be able to fathom this out, but you'll be experiencing anxiety when there's a, when there's a problem that's happened with something. I mean, and, and the classic way to do this is when you see it on social media or you get an email or a text or something and there's something that's negative in there. And Satan's lies will always give you anxiety to say, we've got to fix this problem, we've got to fix this problem, because when we fix the problem, I'll feel better. Might not be spoken out like that to you, but that's what's going on. The more you slow down and get quiet... The more you learn to listen. Here's um, Peggy O'Neill. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Peggy. She was the first president of, of an AFL football club, first female president of an uh, AFL football club, president of Richmond for a number of years. And um, very, very, very impressive lady. You know what happened was one day, and don't get the wrong impression, I'm no celebrity there. I, like I doubt if, if Peggy saw me, she would say hello. But I don't think she would know my name, you know. But anyway, one day I was walking from the football game back to the, the Richmond Oval. Uh, it's just a you know 10-minute walk. And I just found myself, as I walked out and started walking up, I just found myself, and there was Peggy. And so we walked back to Richmond together, and we're talking away, and it was... And without going into a whole lot of detail, there'd been a, a horror year for Richmond in 2016. The white noise, the, like the media frenzy, the, the, the board coup wanting to take over, it was as loud as loud could be. And I said to her, um, Peggy... Just from my perspective, I said, like, I don't know a lot about what happened. I really only know what I see in the media, but gee, I was impressed with you guys on the board. Just like, you just held your course. You just held your nerve. That's what it looked like to me. We heard very little from you. You, you weren't coming out and firing shots and you weren't attacking these people and you weren't saying they were, you, you were just holding your course. And, and I told her, you know, the, the, the church group that I work with, the Baptist Union, it's a phrase that I've learned in the Baptist Union. I love this phrase. It talks, talks about being a non-anxious presence. I said, Peggy, that's what you guys were. And she said to me, this softly spoken lawyer, she said to me, Jeff, you know, what I've learned over the course is that there aren't too many things that are urgent that have to be worked out right now. It's always better just to think and to wait. Friend, the more you slow down and get quiet, and I mean quiet, the more that you'll learn to listen to and to hear God. Um, in the book of First Kings, it describes God's voice as, as a gentle whisper or a soft whisper or a, a still, small voice. And quite frankly, while you're getting notifications and scrolling through your feed, when you've got that on in the background, um, while you're hurry, hurry, hurry now, quick, 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 I can pretty much guarantee you that you will not hear God's voice. But Satan's voice, meanwhile, like Satan's voice is loud. Brother Graham at the community told me, he said, Jeff, and at first he horrified me what he said, Jeff, Satan speaks with the authority of God. I thought, what? He said, he doesn't have the authority of God, but he speaks as if he does. You see Satan's voice, loud, in your face. You can't, you, like, you, you, you will not miss it. God's voice, soft, still, gentle whisper. My enemy's oldest known trick is to get me doubting God. And one other thing you could do is you could pledge daily to trust the promises of God, to refuse to doubt honestly our enemy is so predictable in this he wants to get you doubting it's the oldest trick in the book he's he's used it with so much success for so long history long you can guarantee he's going to try it on for you i'm i'm suggesting this is what i do in my life that, that you that you make a plan to pledge so i, I would say something like this every morning Like I I pray, I, I want to put on the armor of God, and part of the armor of God is the shield of faith, and that's that's where we enact the promises of God to hold off the fiery darts of the evil one. All right, so I would say something like, I pledge today to trust every word of each one of your promises, even in the face, even if you give me evidence against them. I pledge to trust. And I refuse today to doubt any of your promises, no matter what. In my enemy's oldest known trick to get me doubting God, and just finally, friends, um, don't don't mistake. Did God really say what we've just spoken about? Don't mistake that for the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. Because we've all known people, haven't we, who have like the guy that I met years ago who killed his mother because God told him to. Like the man I knew who left his wife for another woman because God told him that was the best thing for everyone. So we have the ability as people to say that God said and then to hold on to that no matter what. You'd be making a big mistake if you took what we've spoken about here today and said, well, God said, I'm not going to doubt. Don't mistake, did God really say for the convicting voice of the Spirit? Let's pray together. Your reminder, your reminder to us, Holy Spirit, you're reminded to us that the enemy's oldest trick is to get us doubting you. We we don't want to be unaware of his schemes. We don't want to be ignorant of them. On behalf of all my friends who are here today, Lord God, I, I don't want any of these people to be tricked by you. I don't want to be tricked by you, but but Lord, we really need your help on this and we need to understand. We need to wise up. And God knows that we need to slow down so we can hear, so we can listen. And Lord, just, just on that, we... Friends, just at, at, like as I'm praying here now, I'm sensing that the Holy Spirit is actually asking us to do some real battle on this thing today here because we're at epidemic proportions of being people who don't listen. You put us, separate us from our phone or our computer screen and, and like some of us have no idea what to do. So there's no such thing. As being quiet and stopping and listening to you, that there is no such thing. Will we ask in Jesus' name here for us and for the people who we know and the people who we're rubbing shoulders with that we can we can turn that around? Totally countercultural, totally counterintuitive, totally against the way that we've become addicted. But we pray that we can learn to be people who who truly, authentically know how to be quiet and how to listen. We pray for each of us, Lord, as we hear the voice of the accuser within, the liar, the father of lies, the roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. Please, wise us up. And help us to be people who trust in what you have said. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends.